This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com A new topic in Chovat HaLevavot, which is the duties of the heart, which was written towards the middle part of the 11th century, 11th century, a thousand years ago, can you imagine, a thousand years ago. It was written by a rabbi called Bachya Ibn Pakuda, who is also a Vig Dayan in Saragossa, in Spain. And this work is quoted very early on by many great rabbis, including the Shalah, Rabbi Shai Horowitz, in the 1500s, and the Beit Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, also in the 1500s. Rabbi Yosef Karo says in his Magid Misharim, that his Magid, or his heavenly spirit, who would teach him, urged him to study duties of the heart every single day as a means of mastering his Yetzer Hara. We know the Khatam Sofer also. In the 1700s, lectured on the duties of the heart for 15 minutes every day before studying Gemara. Every section of duties of the heart talks about faith, prayer, and fundamental beliefs. And uh, it's very important to study it properly. Uh, the section we're going to discuss is called Shara Bitachon, the Gate of Trust, which uh, is the first work ever that offers a systematic principles and obligations of trusting in Hashem. So we learn over here that trusting in Hashem should be done on two levels. Number one, on a spiritual level. So the person should be lay, believe intellectually and rationally in the existence and oneness of Hashem. To love Hashem, to be in awe of Hashem. And that reflects our trust in God. And also on a practical level, how do we conduct ourselves in a way that reflects our trust in Hashem? So we know that there is emunah. Emunah is knowing that God exists. It's wrongly taught as, as belief. It's not really belief. It's more than belief. It's, it's knowledge of God. It's very, very important. As the Rambam says in the first of the mitzvot, it's a mitzvah to know there is a God. And number two is bitachon, is how do you take that knowledge and apply that knowledge to your daily life? And how we take that knowledge of God, and now we have to trust in God. In other words, it's not just enough to know theoretically knowledge that God exists. A person has to bring that down into their lives and conduct their lives with the knowledge that God is with them as well. And they trust in Hashem to help them. That's called bitachon. And if you go to Israel today, they'll tell you to put on your chagurat bitachon. What is a chagurat bitachon? A safety belt, security belt. In your, in your car, you wear a seat belt. It's called Hagurat Bitachon. It's a belt that gives you trust, that gives you security. So we have to realize Hashem is the one who gives us security, especially in today's day and age with all these crazy things going on. We have to realize that the truth is that all the army and the air force and the police, they're not really 100% secure. Nothing is 100% secure. Only God can make us 100% secure. 
So it's on two levels. Number one is on a spiritual level, we should believe intellectually in the presence of God. And then on a practical level, that's bitachon. Practical level is bitachon. How do we apply that to our life? So bitachon should be part of every Jewish personality. When we talk about our plans for the future, we say, Be'ezrat Hashem, with the help of God. That's called bitachon. I trust that God will help me to do this. That's bitachon. We trust in God's will. Emir se Hashem, if God wills it. So bitachon should be part of our thought processes. Our thought process should be part. We should think always in terms of Hashem is with me, Hashem should be with me, Hashem should comfort me, Hashem should guide me. Right? My father always just blessed us. He said, may God guide you. Hashem guide you in your life. Hashem should always guide you to the right. It's a very, very powerful blessing. And Hashem should always guide us to the right. As David Amelach says, the Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm 23, Hashem Hashem guides me. How does Hashem guide us? With your staff and your rod. What's the difference between a staff and a rod? The staff has got a crook on the staff of the, of the shepherd to pull the sheep. The rod would smack the sheep. So Hashem sometimes pulls us, sometimes pushes us. Hashem is guiding us. We have to realize when things are going right, Hashem is pulling us. When things are going wrong, Hashem is smacking us. So He's guiding us in different ways, different ways of guiding us. So for example, in the pogroms, the Russian pogroms, in the 1800s, a lot of Jews moved to America. So sometimes God smacks the person and says, get out of here, go. But we have to realize it's for our good. Sometimes people don't take the advice. All the smacks, they don't move. <laughs> and we have to, sometimes we have to listen to Hashem. Hashem sometimes pulls us and sometimes Hashem pushes us. So that's bitachon, trusting in God. Trusting that Hashem is looking after us. And Hashem relates to us in this world as well. And that's what we say in the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, the Creator, Elokeinu. He's our God, a personal God. God is a personal God. And that's what we're talking about, Bitachon. Bitachon is the fact that God is guiding us individually as an individual God. Which is one of the beauties of Judaism is that we can relate to Hashem with no intermediaries. It's an amazing concept. Hashem is there available to the masses each individual can relate to Hashem. Uh, that's number one. Number two is, it's very important to learn about Bitachon. Why? Because our evil inclination is always working to separate us from God and break our faith in God. And then we find many people who have tests. My person's sick, it's a test. It's going to break his faith in God. Something happens in the family, it's a test. It's going to break his faith in God. And that was the test of Job. Is his faith in God going to break or not? That was a test. So everything that happens in the world, there's a faith in God. There's a very, very fascinating Rambam over here. I just want to read you the Rambam. This Rambam is in the Laws of Idolatry, chapter 2, Halacha 3. And the Rambam says, he's talking about the mitzvot of the mind. And he says, it's not just idolatry which is forbidden. Now don't forget, idolatry is in a person's mind. If a person believes in other gods, no one knows, it's in his mind. That's idolatry in the mind. But he says there's other things as well. There are other things that a person should not bring into their hearts or their minds. What are they? A person should not even think about these things. A person should not go after the thoughts of their heart. Why? 
because a person's mind is limited and not everyone can understand the truth of the matter. So anyways, our minds just keep wandering and not all people have the ability, the intellectual ability to get to the bottom of things. Is there a God? Is there not a God? So people just, today people just think for themselves, they get to a certain point where they think, that's it, I got to this point and that's the halakha, that's the bottom line. But they don't know, that's not the truth. Most people cannot get to the truth, that's what he's saying. If a person goes after their thoughts, he says a person will destroy the world according to the smallness of their minds. We have to understand that in our minds, our thoughts can create and our thoughts can destroy. It's amazing. A person who has a total belief system in God, they just create a belief. Create angels. A person who doesn't believe in God just destroyed belief. In his mind, he destroyed. He destroyed worlds. So we can create and destroy in our minds. That's what Rambam tells us over here. So a person just left to their own devices, according to their small minds, will destroy their world. Very, very powerful uh, uh, statement. Destroy the world with one's mind. Amazing. So it's very important to study about Bitachon because the Yetzirah is trying to weaken our faith in God continuously. <coughs> continuously trying to weaken our faith in God. And that's what the Torah tells us. Don't go after your heart. What does that mean? Don't go after your heart. Don't go after the thoughts of one's heart. person has thoughts in their heart. This is right. This is right. This is right. Yeah, they start wondering. They start surmising that they're right. And they're skeptical. Um, they have to forego those thoughts. Those thoughts are not the good thoughts. person's going to remove themselves from those thoughts. It's very hard. It's very hard, and that's why it's such a big mitzvah. You don't know what's right and what's wrong. Hmm? Right? You don't know what's right and what's Well, that's why we have to study. That's why there's a book called Duties of the Heart, and tells us exactly what the duties of the heart are, which we're going to discuss right now. That's the topic now. So we have to extricate ourselves from inner confusion. How do we do that? And the answer is, right now, the gates of trust. Shar HaBitachon, the Bakhya Ibn Pakuda wrote this book at the end of the 10th century and it's the first book on this topic of trust in God. So the subject of faith holds within it very big dangers because we find there's many different kinds of faiths in the world. Right? There's many different kinds of beliefs. And a slight variance in terms of belief a person might be believing in something else and not God. Just by slight divergence of belief. Right? Is, one, is God one or not? Such a basic question. But a person gets the answer wrong, it's idolatry. Right? Is God above time? Such a basic question. A person gets the answer wrong, it's idolatry. Yeah, it's, all these are very fundamental questions. And sometimes non-Jewish interpretations influence our thinking. And we have to realize that there's a big difference between the non-Jewish idea of Bitachon and the Jewish idea of Bitachon. There's a big difference between the non-Jewish idea of God and the Jewish idea of God. So today there's a proliferation of secular literature, books, publications, press, the media, all the learned commentaries right, on all kinds of events in the world. And all the analysts, they present background information. But very few people talk about Hashem in the world. Right, that's the problem. The problem is 
When people discuss events today, they forget. They don't really realize who is behind the scenes. Who is the, the puppeteer? Who is the puppeteer? That's the question. Who is the puppeteer? So that's why we need the book, The Gate of Trust, so that we can understand that, there's a, that Hashem is in control. Uh, Rav Yaakov Ebden, the Yabetz, the great Rav Yaakov ben Svi, he was the son of Hacham Svi. Hacham Svi was a, a rabbi in Amsterdam. That's why the, the, the Sephardim in Amsterdam called him Hacham Svi. He was the only Ashkenazi rabbi known as Hacham, because he, was, he grew up in a, in a Sephardic town, Amsterdam. And Rav Yaakov Ebden grew up over there as well, and he moved. And he has a whole discourse in his book, Sulam Beit El. He says, look at this, look at this amazing idea. How can a non-believer not be embarrassed and humiliated when he reflects on the uniqueness of the Jewish people in the world? This is in 1600s, 1700s. Here we are, a nation in exile, a lost sheep among the nations. After 2,000 years of oppression and tyranny, there is no one in the world that has been persecuted like us. And this is before the Holocaust. This is in 1700s. Countless tormentors di- driven by insane hatred attempted to wipe us out. No matter how they tried, they could not overcome us. All the mighty nations of antiquity have disappeared. But we who cling to Hashem are still here. We have survived all the horrors of the long exile. This is the 1700s. Our Torah has survived intact. Not one letter, vowel or punctuation mark of the written Torah is missing. All the words of the sages of the oral law have been preserved. The ravages of time have not eroded it. What explanation can you, brilliant philosopher, offer for this? Did all this happen by chance? Did it happen by accident? By my life. When I contemplate these miracles of our survival and exile, I find that they are far greater than all the miracles that Hashem performed for our ancestors in Egypt, in the wilderness, and in Eretz Israel. The longer we are in exile, the more the miracle of our survival becomes evident and His mighty deeds become apparent. This is wild. This is in 1700s. I mean, He didn't see what we saw. And He also didn't see the gathering of exiles that we are seeing. Indeed, all the prophets saw visions of the terror of exile, sorrowfully raised their voices against his long duration long before it came to pass. And everything transpired exactly like they predicted. Can anyone deny it? So his words are really amazing because today we know Hashem's miracles have become even more evident in the recent past. We saw all the curses of Parsha Kitao. We're going to read the terrible curses this week's Parsha. All came true, unfortunately. And we're witnessing Hashem's in gathering the exile from the four corners of the world to Israel in front of our very eyes. Miracle, miracle. Nevertheless, the evil inclination tries to entice us. We do not realize that our survival is an overt divine miracle. We have to realize well, our survival of Jews is a tremendous miracle. We just can't see it. It's a hidden miracle. On an individual level, we also have to look into our own lives and see God's hand in our lives as well. What does God want from us? Certain things happen to us in our lives that Hashem is directing and it's for our own benefit. That's what we have to realize. It's for our own benefit. So may Hashem help us to attain faith and trust in Him so we will deserve His salvation and the sprouting of our redemption. 
So let's just go through very quickly the ten sections of the duties of the heart. The duties of the heart are split into ten pieces, ten parts, which we're going to learn one of them. So why did he write the duties of the heart? And he says there are two parts to the Torah. Now obviously you can split the Torah into many parts. He splits them into practical mitzvot, which he calls the duties of the limbs. Right? Practical mitzvot. Most mitzvot are practical mitzvot. Actions, putting a mezuzah, wearing tefillin, wearing talit, right? going to the mikvah. All these are practical mitzvot a person does with the limbs. Duties of the body, really. So there's duties of the body. And then there's also duties of the heart. Beliefs. Jews must believe in. Right? This is before Rambam wrote the 13 principles of faith. Bachir Ibn Pagoda was the first one to talk about these duties and make a list of all these duties. So what are these duties? He calls them duties of the heart, which are really duties of belief, the mind. So really the, the word heart is used in the Torah. Rambam says it refers to the mind. Heart is the mind. Love God with all your heart is not talking about your heart. The heart doesn't do anything. It's talking about the mind. The mind is the heart. And the, they include both positive and negative commandments. Positive commandments. Let's go through the positive commandments in your mind. Number one, believing in Hashem. Number two, believing in one Hashem. Number three, fearing Hashem. Number four, loving Hashem. Number five, trusting Hashem, which is what we're talking about. Number six, loving one's neighbor, which is interesting, due to the heart. And the negative commandments include not hating your brother, not being envious, not bearing a grudge, and not taking revenge. It's interesting, all the negative commandments are to do with people. Interesting. And these are parts in your heart, no one knows about them. It's only between you and God. So every mitzvah must be performed jointly by the body and the heart. Our limbs perform the physical act of the mitzvah, and our minds perform the kavanah, the intent behind the mitzvah. The intent is very, very, very critical. And the duties of the heart form the foundations of all the mitzvot. Because without the proper intentions, what makes a mitzvah a mitzvah? What's between a mitzvah and a good deed? A mitzvah is something we do because we're commanded by God. That's very, very important. Today people forget. A mitzvah is not. Today people translate a mitzvah as a good deed. Right? Wrong. A mitzvah is a command. A person says, I don't believe in a commander. There's no mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah anymore. To make it a mitzvah, a person has to have the duty of the heart, which is, I believe that God gave me this deed to do. Hashem is the one who told me to do this. I believe in God. Yeah? Without believing in God, there's no commander. Without a commander, there's no, there's no command. There's no mitzvah. A person has to believe, start with God. Everything starts with God. So the duties of the heart form the very foundation of the mitzvot. Because without, mit- without knowledge of what's behind the mitzvah, it's not a mitzvah anymore. Rabbi Bachia notes, the concept duties of the heart were dealt with in various passages in the Torah, in the Prophets, and the Talmud, but it was never written down in a systematic way. He was the first one to write it down in a systematic way, otherwise it's scattered all over. Okay. So we have to realize, number one, he tells us, Intent makes a very, very big difference. For example, murder. Right? If there's intent in the murder, 
premeditated murder, death penalty. If there's no intent in the, in the murder, it's manslaughter, what does the person do? Run to the city of refuge. A massive difference. What makes a difference? The intent. Now let's take that and apply that to a mitzvah. Imagine, a person does a mitzvah with no real intent. And a person does a mitzvah with real intent, it's night and day. Okay? It's the difference between life and death, in a sense. Right? So it's very, very critical to know that one's intent makes a massive difference in the performance of a mitzvah. And no one can see it. The intent no one can see. What is the intent behind the mitzvah? That's why the rabbis said to make brachot before you do a mitzvah. The bracha should provide the intent. Now the trouble is when we say a bracha, we say it like a parrot. But it says the bracha like a parrot, and he forgets what the bracha is saying. Asher, kiddishanu, b'mitzvotav, you sanctified us with the commandments to do this mitzvah. We're being sanctified by the commandments. A person's got to realize, when we do a mitzvah, we are sancti- Hashem is sanctifying us. We're becoming holy. We're being drawn closer to God. That makes it holy. So in the ten sections of the duties of the heart, or gates, he talks about the basic principles of the Jewish faith. Number one, Shar HaYichud. Number one, the gate of wholehearted belief in God's unity. A person has to believe 100%. Well, we said it's not enough to believe. You know, by the way, Bakhi and Bakuda, this, the book was written in Arabic. And like all the other Arabic books, like the Rambam, also most of his books were in Arabic, except for the Mishnah Torah. It was very badly translated. Ibn Tibon. Now there's two ways to translate a book. You can translate a book literally, and you lose the real gist of it, because you just, word by word, you're translating. Or you translate in a very broad way, and you get the gist, but it's not a literal translation. So I think that Ibn Tibon tried to translate as much as he could, according to the literal sense. And therefore, the beauty of the book sometimes is lost. That's the trouble. So, when the Raman writes down his mitzvah to believe in God, it's really, that's not what he says in the Arabic. In the Arabic, he says mitzvah to know there is a God. And that's what he says over here, the gate of wholehearted belief. That's a mistranslation. Wholehearted belief is not belief, it's knowledge. Wholehearted belief is knowledge of God's oneness. Number two, the gate of recognition of God's wisdom, power, and goodness. That's a very, very important point. Hashem's power is unlimited. The Kabbalists call God and Sof. No end. There's no end to God. We say every day, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch. God is above time. God was the king, God is the king, God will be the king. God is unchanging. And Baruch Hashem, we believe in a good God. That's very, very important. We believe that God is good. And God wants us to be, emulate Him and, and be good as well. Number three, the gate of service of heart of God. Number four, the gate of trust of God, which is what we're going to do now. Number five is the gate of dedication of purpose. Number six is the gate of repentance. Number, uh, sorry, the gate of humility. Number seven is the gate of repentance. Number eight is the gate of self-examination. Number nine is the gate of separation from pleasures. And number ten is the gate to loving Hashem. So those are the ten gates um, in this book. Which uh, the book of Chovat HaLevavot, the gates, uh, the, the, the obligations of the heart, duties of the heart. 
We are now going to discuss the fourth gate, which is the gate of Bitachon, Shar Bitachon, the gate of trust. And the gate of trust is unique. It's the first book in Torah literature to explain in organized, logical, and definitive manner the fundamental principles of faith in Hashem. It tells us of the great benefits of trusting Hashem, such as freedom from care. Can you imagine? A person who really trusts in God will not worry. That's amazing. Imagine no ulcers, no heart problems. A person who trusts in God will not worry. So if we worry, it's a sign we don't trust in God. Or we don't trust in ourselves. Right? There's different ways. Why? Because I trust in God, but maybe I didn't do enough of my hishtadut. I didn't do enough. I also have to do my part. I can't just sit back and say I trust in God and that's it. I'm also going to do my part. person got to try their best. You've got to try your best. You've got to make a living and then you trust in God. You don't just say, I'm not, making, I'm, going, I'm not going to work today, I trust in God. No. A person's got to go to work and trust in God at the same time. But once your person worries, he's trying his best and he's still worrying, that's, there's no trust in God. So that's what we have to work on is our trust in God. Trust in God gives a person the benefits of freedom from worldly cares, gives them the benefit of peace of mind, Gives the benefit of security and tranquility. So a person trusting God will be calm. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about day after. I'm not worried about what's going on around me. I trust in Hashem. So a person's in a bubble of divine providence. He's walking around a bubble of divine providence. I trust Hashem is looking after me personally. I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by a bubble of divine providence. So the question we have, and that's the question that the gate of trust is going to ask us. If you trust in Hashem, why do you need to go to work? Trust in God. Don't do anything. Why doesn't Hashem provide your needs without having to labor? You know, the Gemara asked that question. The Gemara says the animals are better off than we are. Well, wherever they go, their food is there. Hashem provided for them. Why do I have to work so hard? That's Bakhe Ibn Baku's question. The reason is given that Hashem tests us with worldly needs... To see if you serve him or rebel against him. In other words, it's all a test of bitachon. Again, it's a test of faith. So a person has to go to work. He says, oh gosh, you made it so hard, Hashem. You're not looking after me, Hashem. That's rebelling against Hashem. But person says, listen, Hashem, it's so hard, but I finally made, managed to do it. You helped me. That is success. Also, if a person does not have to earn a livelihood, a person in the affluence will not feel dependent on God and turn his back on God. Yeshirun became fat and they kicked. It's interesting. Riches is a very big danger in terms of a person says, I don't need God anymore. I don't need God anymore. I heard this, a very interesting story. Um, very wealthy man. He comes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi says, tell Hashem not to interfere in my business. It's doing very well right now. Tell, tell God not to interfere in my business. So like Bar Kokhva, right? Bar Kokhva prayed, I don't need your help, God, just don't help my enemies. That's not a good prayer. That's not a prayer of someone with bitachon. Bitachon is, Hashem is helping me right now. Why is the person successful in his business? Obviously Hashem did it. So why? He's going to say, Hashem, now don't interfere in my business. So that is the test of wealth. Amazing. So a person in his wealth should not, might not feel dependent on God. Might turn his back on God might go astray and become corrupt. 
And that's why the Mishnah says, Torah study good, Yafet Torah im derech eretz. It's good to learn Torah and have a trade, because when you're busy with both, a person will have no time to sit. So it's very important to have a trade. It's very important to go to work for human beings to have their minds occupied. And this way we'll realize that we are also dependent on Hashem. We need help. We need Hashem's help. Okay. That's the first major question is why does a person who believes in God have to go to work? Number two question. This is an age-old question as well. Sometimes we see righteous people have to work hard for a living while the sinners have it easy. Sadiq Viralo, Rasha Vitovlo, it's a famous command in Brachot. And we are told one of the reasons the righteous suffer is that they may have committed a sin that they may have to pay for in this world so they will enjoy undiminished bliss in the world to come. Then again, they suffer to show their patience, be an example to others. Sometimes Hashem afflicts the righteous with poverty and illness in order for them to demonstrate their piety and continuous service of God in spite of their troubles. And why is God kind to the wicked? Because they may have to have done something good in this world they need to get rewarded for. But it may be the undoing in the future. Anyway, so we have to have faith in matters of health and sickness. The duty of heart says, always try to stay healthy and avoid sickness in the usual ways. A person's got to try their best using natural means to stay healthy and then trust in God. So that's the bottom line. Bottom line is we have to try our best. Ishtadlut, get a job, work hard, trust in God to make the end meet. And trust in Hashem and health as well. Do your best and trust in Hashem. The other question he has is why does the Torah not tell us much about reward and punishment in the next world? This is one of the famous questions on the, on the Torah. The Torah does not spend time discussing the next world. The Torah talks about this world. doesn't talk about the next world. So why? So he answers, number one, we know nothing about the state of the soul without a body. You know, how are you going to describe what a soul is? How are you going to talk about the next world when you have no concept what a soul is? How do we know what gives the soul delight? We don't even know what the soul is. We've got to talk about what gives the soul delight. The next world, we don't even know what, it, what the soul is. We don't know what troubles the soul. We don't know what makes the soul delight. Furthermore, Hashem promised His people an immediate reward or punishment in this world. Okay? He didn't have to talk about the next world. This, this the world is, if you do what's right in this world, the next world will take care of itself. Those who are worried about the next world all the time will forget that this is the world we have to do things. This is the world we have to This is the world which is important for us. The next world will look after itself. So the essence of reward in the world to come is attachment to Hashem and coming closer to His heavenly light, which are concepts that cannot be expressed in human terms. So the Torah tries to keep it simple, keep it this worldly, something we can understand very tangible and ex- explicable. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the author, Bachi ibn Pakuda. Very little is known about him. We know he lived in the second half of the 11th century. We know he was a Dayan, a judge on the Bedin, on the court, in the city of Saragossa, in those days, Muslim Spain. The era was the golden age of Spanish Jewry. That was the golden age of Spanish Jewry. Rabbi Shmuel Hanagid, a great Talmud scholar, was an influential statesman in the province of Granada. 
Rabbeinu Bachia was a contemporary of Rabbi Shlomo Ibn Gabirol, the famous grammarian and poet. And he probably knew the riff, Rabbi Yitzhak Al-Fasi, who came to Spain in 1088 and was appointed Rabbi of Lucina. It was a time when Torah flourished in Spain. Best known are two towering Torah personalities in that era, Rabbi Huda Levi, end of the 11th century, who wrote the Kuzari, and Rabbi Abraham Ibn Ezra, also at the end of the 11th century, the great commentator on the Tanakh. So he lived around the same time as these greats, Rabbi Huda Levi, Ibn Ezra. Rabbeinu Bachia was greatly influenced and often refers to the writings of Rabbeinu Sadia Gaon, 892-942, who wrote Emunot Vedeot, the first work of philosophical speculation and proof. Emunot Vedeot, first work in Russian, written in the 9th century. Sadia Gaon. Also the Rambam was influenced by Rav Sadia Gaon. So Duties of the Heart were written and published in 1080. It was written in Arabic, unfortunately, and translated later into Hebrew. Rabbeinu Bachia says, I write, I'm writing this book both for Torah scholars and beginners. Interesting, right? One book can be read by Torah scholars, one book by beginners. The same book. It's like the whole Torah. Imagine, Breshit. You can learn it 50 times and learn it again. And a kid can read it and think he understands it. Obviously, he doesn't understand it, but he thinks he understands it. He said, I wrote this book for both Torah scholars and beginners and for those who have strayed and are looking for guidance to return to Hashem and the Torah. In Rabbeinu Bachia's time, the vast majority of the Jewish people lived in North Africa, Egypt, Spain, Eretz Israel, and Persia under Muslim domination. They spoke Arabic and many rabbis wrote their works in Arabic. That's why he wrote in Arabic. He wanted everyone to understand what he wrote. If you wrote in Hebrew, not many people would understand. So he wrote it in the spoken language. Less than 100 years after its publication, the book had gained universal acclaim and was widely studied in the Arabic original. But as the Jewish population moved into France and Italy, where no Arabic was spoken, a Hebrew translation was needed. The first translation was produced by Rabbi Yehuda Ibn Tibon. Ibn Tibon, very famous translator, also translated the Rambam, in 1161. He translated many other works, including Emunot Vedeosh of Ras Sadigon. He translated the Kuzari into Hebrew. And unfortunately, he gives the original, he gives the literal rendition of the Hobat Levod that makes it really incomprehensible in a sense. <laughs> so he gave a very literal explanation, which is very, you know, I told you there's two ways to translate a work. The second translation was done by Rabbi Yosef Kimchi, in which he paraphrased different difficult phrases. However, only one section of this translation survived, so the main translation of Rabbi Huda Ibn Tibon's work is the main translation. Judas of the Heart was first printed in Naples in 1490. Yeah, imagine 1492 was the expulsion. 1490, they printed Duties of the Heart in Naples and Italy. And again in Bologna in 1548. Many commentaries have been written on Chobat Levavot. And a translation for Arabic and Hebrew was done recently by Rabbi Yosef Kapach, a famous Yemenite uh, rabbi in, in Israel, a Dayan in Israel. 
He used an ancient, very accurate Yemenite manuscript to translate. He also translated Rambam from the Arabic into Hebrew. Very beautiful translation. And in 1968, another translation, Levtov, by Rabbi Pinchas Yehuda Lieberman, into contemporary modern Hebrew. Okay, so it's a classic. This is a real classic, uh, Torah classic. Great Torah luminaries like the Rabbi Yosef Karo, Ritzhak Luria, the, the Arizal studied it daily. Can you imagine? Arizal studied this daily. The Volnagaon immersed themselves in Chovat Levavot. Khatam Sofer was called the living Chovat Levavot. Rabbi Shah Salanta, the founder of the Musa movement, made it the main book of the movement, Duties of the Heart. It has been reprinted many times and can be found in every shelf of every yeshiva, Beit Midrash, and most public and private home libraries. So very, very important work. Um, so let's start. This is the introduction to the gate of trust in God. So the, the author, Ibn Bakhi and Pakuda, says, I've discussed our duty to serve God. I decided to continue by focusing on the quality one who serves God needs most. Which quality does a person who serves God need most? The quality is to trust God in all phases of life. For trust in God is very helpful for one's Torah observance and worldly affairs. Trusting in God will help your Torah observance by giving you serenity and peace of mind. Wild. How do you get peace of mind? So a lot of people just take medication. Right? 20 million Americans on medication. I don't know. But that's not going to help a person. It may help a person artificially, but it doesn't really truly help a person. It's amazing. A person must trust God like a servant trusts his master. And we don't know what that concept means, because we're not servants. We don't have masters. Basically, like a child trusts his parent. Right? You see children. Carefree. They're running around. Carefree. They don't have a care in the world. Why don't they have a care in the world? Parents. Daddy, I need this. Mommy, I need this. Abba, Ima. Not a care in the world. That's how a person should be. Hashem is our Abba. I need this. Hashem, help me. A person who does not trust in Hashem is by definition trusting someone or something other than Hashem. That's a very important idea. In other words, there's no vacuum. So either I trust Hashem or I trust my insurance company or I trust my doctor, or I trust my insurance agent, or I trust someone else, something else. What do I trust? Or I trust myself. Most people today trust themselves. That's it. Right? Even though the dollar, the dollar bill says, in God we trust. Right? When a person does not trust in Hashem, or trust something else, Hashem removes His divine providence from that person. And leaves that person in the care of the one he trusts. That's what the Torah says. If you walk with me by circumstance, I will also walk with you by circumstance. If you think everything in the world is chance, everything will become chance for you. The prophet Jeremiah says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the source of living waters, to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot even hold water. Well, so they don't believe in me, they believe in something else which is broken. And then he also says, they exchanged their glory for the image of a bull, 
that feeds on the grass. It was the wish of the golden calf, the northern kingdom. Tilib, blessed is a person who trusts in Hashem. And Hashem will be his trust. If you trust in Hashem, Hashem will be your trust. Right? We create divine providence by more than we believe, the more divine providence there is. The more we trust in God, the more security we have. If a person relies on his wisdom, skill, physical strength, or efforts, he'll waste his energy, become exhausted, ultimately will fall short of achieving his purpose. If a person relies on his wealth, either it will be taken away from him, and you wind up penniless, where you will not be able to enjoy it. So hard, so hard. A person should not rely on anything. You have to try your best, but everything is in God's hands. Now, a person should always say, everything is in God's hands. I'm trying my best, but everything, ultimately everything is in God's hands. We don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Today, we don't even know what's going to happen. Look what happened. Bombs here, bombs there. Baruch Hashem, they caught the guy. Baruch Hashem, thank God. It's a miracle they caught him. Miracle. Because this tramp went to the garbage and pulled out the miracle. So everything we have in, in life is a test. We have to realize everything is from God. Hashem gives a person wealth. It's on deposit to God against loss. Maybe to give it to someone else. Maybe to give it to our children. Wealth may cause a person's downfall and bring about the loss of their soul. And that's what Kohelet says. There is a grave evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches hoarded by their owner to their misfortune. That's the worst thing. And people got robbed and stuff. I know a guy, I was in Stanford, in uh, Golders Green in London. In London. Was, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite, it's a middle class neighborhood, upper class, middle class neighborhood. My mother was telling me, this guy over there is a jeweler. On his way home, he got mugged and killed. It took his jewels. So the jewels caused him to die. His money caused him. It's terrible. It's a terrible thing. So riches are a blessing and a curse. It depends on us. If we say the riches are not the main thing, the riches are just a way to get ahead in life, but I trust in God, not in my riches. Hashem gave and Hashem took. Hashem can give again. That's trusting God. But a person says that riches are going to save my life. Who knows what's going to happen? Okay. Trusting God makes a person independent. A person who believes in God will not come to serve anyone else. God is the boss. Everything is for the boss or for the boss. A person will not place their hope in anyone. A person will not depend on anyone. You will not be, have to flatter people in order to get to their good graces. You won't have to agree to associate with them when they intend to transgress the service of God because, you know, they're not the boss. God is the boss. You don't need anyone. You don't need to be intimidated by anyone. You not be afraid of anyone. You'll be free to express your opinion in the service of God because you are not dependent on anyone's favors and you do not have to com- be compel yourself to thank or repay them. If you have to criticize them, you will not be afraid to hurt their feelings. So that's the, the, the prophet, for example, had to have total trust in God. It's not a joke. The prophet had to go to the king. Oh boy. Well, I don't envy the prophet. Sometimes you had to go rebuke the king. Not a joke. The king can say, off with his head. You had to have trust in God, to complete trust in God. 
So trust in God makes a person independent. Number two, another benefit of trusting God is one who relies on God will be able to detach themselves from their worldly concerns, like worrying about their, about their livelihood, and devote themselves entirely to serving God. You will have inner tranquility, peace of mind, and complacency. Right, so very, very important. Trust in God is key. And will help a person have peace of mind. Number three. Trust in God is beneficial to one's observance of the Torah. If a person is wealthy, he will quickly, eagerly, and generously fulfill his financial obligation towards God and man. If he is poor, he will consider poverty as a favor from God. For it frees him from obligations towards God and man, right? A person's poor, he can't give. No, one, no one's lining up outside his house. In a sense, it's a blessing. Well, it's a blessing like this, right? Poverty also saves the person the bother of safeguarding and managing his capital. Oh boy, that's a big problem today. A person has money, they've got to got to manage the money. It's not a joke. It's like a full-time job, managing the money. They're pulled in all directions. We're trying to earn more. We're trying to safeguard what we have. We're trying to think about the future. So you say, it brings a story. A story is told about a certain devout person who used to say, I wish Hashem would save me from scattering my soul. Scattering my soul. What do you mean by scattering your soul? He said, I have investments in every port in every city. And my financial worries distract me from serving God. In other words, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. Every time a person thinks about something, that's their soul is, is busy. So my soul is scattered on this, scattered on that, scattered on that. Every time we divide ourselves in different parts, we're dividing our soul in different parts. Where our thoughts are, that's where we are, Rambam says. So a person's thoughts are in ten different things, their soul is being scattered. The more possessions, the rabbis say in Kirki Avot, chapter 2, Marben nechassim, Marben More possessions, more worries. A brilliant idea. What a brilliant idea. Who is rich? Ezu Ashir, Samech Belko. Is happy what he has. So simple. So powerful. And yet so hard to do. Very simple and powerful, but very hard to do. To be happy with what one has. That is the hardest thing level to get to. Because we have to count our blessings every day. And so we do every morning. Every morning we say blessings, 18 blessings, 20 blessings. And uh, we're meant to count our blessings. We say, listen, I have this and I have this. I can see, I can hear, I can talk, I can think. I can walk. I can straighten my back. I'm free. Amazing. We're so lucky. But we're not happy with it. We have to be happy with it. A person's got to appreciate what they have. It's so hard to appreciate, right? So trusting in God will make a person happy. A person will serve God with happiness. A person who trusts in God will attain the benefits of money, namely earning a livelihood, without the anxieties and constant irritations that plague a rich person. Shlomo Melech says, A worker's sleep is sweet, whether he has much or little to eat. But a rich man's abundance does not let them sleep. Quiet. Very, very powerful. Another benefit of trusting God is that a person's wealth does not stand in the way of their faith. Because a person does not rely on their money. Rather, a person will consider their wealth money placed in their care to use for, for objects of charity and purpose. 
If you look at it this way, he says, even if you remain wealthy, you will not become arrogant. Because the money is not yours, it's just given to you for safekeeping. You won't boast of your kindness or giving charity, since you are the one who is doing what Hashem wanted you to do. You're not doing a favor to God. You're just doing a mitzvah. You don't expect thanks or praise for your kindness. Instead, you will thank Hashem for giving you the opportunity to good, do good for others. Then again, if you lose money, you'll not be upset and cry. Rather, you'll thank Hashem for taking back His deposit, just as He thanked you, just as you thanked Him when He handed it to you. It's hard to do, boy. Hashem not, Hashem natan, Hashem lakach, Hashem natan, Baruch Hashem Hashem. It's very hard to do. You'll never try to hurt anyone or envy other people's wealth. Why? Because a person has trust. Everything I have is for me. What I don't have is not for me. Hashem gave me exactly what I need. A person to keep saying to themselves, Hashem gave me exactly what I need. Very hard to do that. Very, very hard to be happy with what one has. Always want more, want more, want more. By the way, the rabbis tell us a very important idea. They say when a person... This drive to want more is really a spiritual drive. When it comes to physical things, be happy with what you have. When it comes to spiritual things, that's where the drive to have more is what it's for. But should never be satisfied spiritually and very be easily satisfied physically. Tonight's going to give us a few benefits regarding worldly matters. You'll be free from worldly cares. And will experience the tranquility that comes from curbing your physical desires. You'll feel a sense of calmness, security, and serenity. So a person who has trust in God will feel this feeling of calmness. Number two, you won't feel the urge to go on long business trips to distant places. Such trips are exhausting and harmful to a person's health. The story is told that a certain ascetic, before assuming his ascetic lifestyle, traveled to a far-off country to earn a living. On the way there, he met an idol worshiper from that city. <laughs> so the ascetic told the idol worshiper, you're blind. So why? You worship idols. You're blind. You're a blind man. How stupid you worship idols. The idol worshiper said, who do you worship? I worship the Almighty. All-providing, all-sustaining, the one and only incomparable creator. The idolater said, but your actions contradict your words. How is that? If what you say is true, then your God could have fed you at home just as easily as here. You wouldn't have had to take the trouble to come all the way to this distant place. Caught off balance, unable to reply, the city returned home, and he never left his hometown again. So you see, a person who has trust in God will not have to wander around, not have to work so hard, boy. Have peace and have calm. Trust in God. Because the person has to realize Hashem can provide for them without doing work that does not fit their constitution. So a person who will do what comes naturally. A person got to do what comes naturally for their constitution. What you like to do is what you're meant to do. What a person likes to do, that's a general rule. What you like to do, that's what you're meant to do. If you don't like what you're doing, it's not what you're meant to be doing. So if it comes easily to you, that's your job. Physical matter. Huh? Physical matter. Physical matter, yeah. Physical matter. One who trusts in God chooses an easy profession who will earn them a good reputation, offer them spare time to reflect, enough time to study the Torah. This is really an ideal. 
and fulfill all their religious obligations. A person knows that nothing he does will either increase or lessen the amount of money he is destined to earn. It is completely dependent on God's decree. It's amazing. Hashem sometimes opens doors for a person. It's amazing. I mean, really, I've seen it in my life. Hashem just opens the door wide. And then after a while, shut the door. Sometimes there's windows of opportunity. If you take the window of opportunity, you go through the window of opportunity, do well for a while, Hashem comes along and shuts the door sometimes. So a person's going to take it when it's there and thank Hashem for the gift that Hashem gave us. And it's all in God's hands. What can you do? You try your best. Sometimes, whatever you try, it doesn't work. Sometimes you don't even try it, it works. It's a miracle. A miracle. Hashem just opens the door and closes the door. It's amazing. One who trusts in Hashem has fewer frustrations in his business. He does not overly concern when his product does not sell. This is very hard. When he cannot collect the money, his creditors owe him. Very hard. When he becomes sick. He knows Hashem is wiser than he is. Hashem knows what's good for a person. That's why he say, Gam, Zu, Letova. We don't know what's going on. A person who trusts in God is happy in whatever situation he finds himself, even if it is against his nature. He trusts that God does only, good, does only do what good for him like a loving mother who bathes, diapers, dresses, undresses a child, even though the child doesn't want it. <laughs> so you see the child. The child's getting his diapers changed, screaming its head off. He doesn't know what's good for him. So it's uncomfortable to be changed. He'd rather be staying with the filth. The mother knows it's good for him. So sometimes Hashem changes our diapers for us. We don't, we're screaming and shouting. Hashem says, it's not good for you. You've got to do something else. It's not good for you. The situation's not good for you. Okay. So those are the, that's the main introduction to the book of trust. And then he divides the next sections into seven sections. Just describe them and we'll stop over here. The first section is, what is trust in God? What is trust in God? The second section is, the qualities needed for one to be trusted. Why do we trust God? Because He has certain qualities that we trust in because of those qualities. The third one is, the beliefs we need for one to trust in God. And the need to actively seek a livelihood. This is very interesting. In the trust of God, He puts in there Hishtadlut. We have to try our best. That's part of trusting God. If we don't try our best, there's no, there's no trust in God. It's very interesting to combine the two. We have to talk about that. Number four, when should one display trust? When is it good and when is it not good? Sometimes a person displays trust when they shouldn't display trust. You drink poison and they say, I trust in God. Can't do that. You can't jump off the roof and say, I trust in God. You can't go bungee jumping and say, I trust in God. You're not allowed to do that. The difference, number five, the difference between one who uh, trusts in God and earns his living and one who does not trust in God and earns his living. Number six, the need to denounce the view of people who say they will only begin to serve God after they have enjoyed the pleasures of life. I want to enjoy life first. How many times do you hear that? First, let me enjoy life. Rabbi, not now. Let me enjoy life a little bit and then I will come to serve God. And number seven is the things that stop us from, from trusting God and the overview of trusting God. So we're going to be we'll do this in the coming weeks. Um, the, 
this, this section on trust in God. The statement of the You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.